I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 545 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got a very special guest for you guys today. Commander Chris Hadfield is a retired Canadian Space Agency astronaut and former fighter pilot. He is the very first Canadian to ever walk in space. He has flown in space three times. He served as the commander of the International Space Station. Commander Hadfield's first time in space was back in 1995 aboard the STS-74 when he visited the Russian space station Mir. He has spent a total of 166 days in space and almost 15 hours outside of spacecraft performing space walks. Commander Hadfield is wildly popular on social media with accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and others. He was dubbed by Forbes as perhaps the most social media savvy astronaut ever to leave Earth. He has a brand new fictional thriller out right now titled The Apollo Murders. The link to the book is in today's show notes. Chris is an inspiring human being. He's a first-class father all the way. I'm honored to have him on the podcast today. Chris Hadfield will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Chris Hadfield was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the astronaut author and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, after 545 episodes of the podcast here, Commander Hadfield is the very first astronaut dad that I've had the honor of interviewing here on the podcast. And next week, I'm going to welcome my second United States astronaut, Victor Glover, who is assigned to the Artemis crew, who very well may walk on the moon someday in the near future. He'll be joining me here next week. So with all the excitement surrounding the recent space flights, including William Shatner, who was shot out of the atmosphere, I hope you will enjoy today's episode and come back next week for my interview with Victor Glover. All right, and Wednesday's guest on the podcast is a dad who never left the planet, but he has been around the world multiple times, Phil Kogan, the host of the very popular reality TV show, The Amazing Race, as well as the current show, Tough as Nails. He'll be joining me here on Wednesday's podcast, so come back for that one. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram, at Alec underscore Lace, for all the upcoming guest announcements. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving me a rating or review on iTunes. It goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. And let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood, family life, fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Commander Chris Hadfield. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. What's doing, dads? I've got two ways for you guys to save money and support First Class Fatherhood. First up, the NFL season is back and the stands are packed once again with fans the way it's supposed to be. If you plan on taking your kids, going with your family, or going with the guys to the game, save $20 on your tickets by going to SeatGeek.com or using the SeatGeek app and use my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, First Class, and you're going to save $20 off your tickets. Okay, and secondly, you got to go to MyPillow.com and save up to 66% off using my promo code FATHERHOOD. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD. I'll tell you right now, their pillows are great, but their mattress toppers, their towels, their bathrobes are next level. You got to check them out. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD, and you're going to save up to 66% off your order. All right, you got that, guys? SeatGeek, save $20 on your tickets, promo code over there, first class. My pillow promo code over there, fatherhood. All right, two ways for you guys to save money and support first-class fatherhood.
joining me now, First Class Father, Chris Hadfield. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, from one father to another, thank you very much. Glad to be on. All right, let's start it right there. How many kids do you have? How old are they? Uh, I have three. My wife and I have three. Um, my wife and I met in high school, and we had kids fairly young. So my kids, our kids now are uh, 38, 36, and 35. Wow, very cool. Uh, yeah, my oldest is 15. I have four myself, so I'm uh, halfway there to where you are. I'm in no hurry to speed up to you there. So <laughs> you're right. You're right in the thick of all the confusion and contrarian demands and adolescence and puberty and all of that. So I uh, I salute you for where you are in life as a father right now. Yeah, well, thank you for that. If you could, Chris, please um, just hit my listeners here with a little bit about your background and what you do. Um, my name is Chris Hadfield. I uh, I was a downhill ski racer in my teens and early 20s. I joined the military. I went to four different universities and I became a fighter pilot in the Cold War. Um, and I was a combat fighter pilot. And then I went to test pilot school and was a test pilot with the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy, even though I'm Canadian. And then I was selected as an astronaut and I flew in space uh, three times. I commanded the International Space Station. I was NASA's director in Russia, director of operations in Russia. Um, I retired from government service after 35 years, about eight years ago. Since then, I've written four books, all of which have been bestsellers. My new one just came out, The Apollo Murders, uh, a brand new uh, thriller fiction book, which is doing fantastically well. Um, and then I work with a lot of space companies and technology incubators, and I play a lot of music. And uh, my wife and I are just coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary, which is inconceivable to me. Uh, and I am a, a very lucky and fortunate and grateful human being. Wow. Well, what an incredible journey you've had here. Great stuff. Yeah. And I have a copy as well. Oh, look at that. Murders here. So uh, cool. I'm going to hit on that in just a minute here. So take me back if you could, Chris. Obviously, a, a very long, extensive career, uh, been to space the whole bit. But take me back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey now. About how old were you? When you first became a dad and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? In the Canadian Air Force, uh, we don't have very many bases. And especially as a fighter pilot, you get posted to sort of the hinterland of Canada. And my wife had already graduated university, had a promising career as a, as a computer programmer. But then they were going to post us to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and then Cold Lake, Alberta, and then Shakutami uh, in northern Quebec. And you can almost tell from the names that none of those places, you know, were hotbeds of computer programming for my wife to be able to get further advancement. And so we kind of thought about it. We were just in our early 20s and we thought, well, uh, we eventually want to have kids. Let's have our kids now while we're living in these remote military bases. And then when we eventually get posted back to a larger population center, then hopefully the kids will be of kindergarten age and it'll free my wife up then to be able to get back into the workforce. And amazingly enough, that happened. We had one child uh, while I was posted at Moose Jaw. One was born in Cold Lake. One was born in Chicoutimi, Quebec. And then uh, we started getting posted to other places and Helena, my wife, got back into the workforce. So who knew? And um, I think uh, my we had three kids essentially by the time we were 25, way before we were ready to have three kids. But we had lots of energy then. And, and uh, you know, so uh, there's never any real rule book. And there is no control sample to see how you would have done if you'd done everything differently. Um, you know, what it would have been like if we'd waited till our 40s to have kids. There's no way to ever know. You just kind of got to go with your gut and then do the absolute best that you can. 
Yeah, very well said, Chris. And what would you consider to be the top values that you had hoped to instill in your three kids as they were growing up? Uh, I wanted them to have uh, a voice in their head that would be there when when my wife and I weren't around. You know, uh, sort of a, an intrinsic value system of of right and wrong, of of what to do, of uh, of how to behave. Um, and so we tried to set a good example. Uh, we tried, you know, be good citizens, contribute to the community that has nurtured you, um, and be respectful of other people, but most importantly, be respectful of yourself, um, and always try and make the most of yourself. You know, um, you have been given this great gift of, of being born into this time and place with an enormous legacy before you of people who have worked so hard to hand you health and long life and opportunity and education. So, you know, think about that and and sort of the societal responsibility that comes along with that and have fun you know take the time out to enjoy what's going on and i would say <laughs> what one of my thoughts one night i turned to my wife and said you know what parenthood really is it is the good intentions of the morning sacrificed on the altar of reality every single day and <laughs> but the beauty of it is you get another morning the next morning to try and try and do better as a parent the next day and so those those were our attempts to give goals to our kids and to a very large extent i think we succeeded yeah very well said i love that chris and obviously i think being an astronaut's got to be the coolest dad job there is so well, also, I think what comes with that, too, could be the pressure, especially for, you know, a young man or a young woman that that's looking to. I know we always as kids want to impress our dad. We always look for that approval. Did you ever have any of that or sense any of that from your kids growing up? Was there any pressure on them to kind of um, live up to the mold? Dad is an astronaut, anything like that. How would you kind of handle all that? It's been a huge factor for all three of my children, um, Alec. Uh, and it started rearing its head at quite an early age. And one of one of the times I remember uh Early on, I was taking my 12-year-old son or 13, you know, just all still very self-conscious and unaware of how to behave socially and all that. And we had the task of going to, I forget, uh, Kmart or something to buy underwear. And we're standing in the, you know, the 12-year-old boy underwear bin. And someone comes up to me and says, are you Chris Hadfield, the astronaut? And wanted to, like, get my autograph. And my son it, you know, it's embarrassing enough buying underwear with your dad, the little tidy whiteies. But now, you know, to have this going on and his dad being lauded while he's going through the the uh, the, you know, kind of uh, miserable process of just getting comfortable with himself. And and my kids chose three different paths. One, he moved to China right after he finished college, basically so that he could succeed or fail on his own merits, where people wouldn't recognize my name and then immediately assume that that he, because my last name of Hadfield isn't very common. Um, my second son decided to support us directly and actually get involved in our business and had, was hugely helpful in my third space flight. He was the one who suggested I make a recording of David Bowie's Space Oddity and, and and was, you know, turned that into a very successful public flight fights or, or flights. So I, I thank my second son for that. And our daughter decided just to do everything of her own merits, to be respectful of us, but never ask for anything. And uh, and and she's now a professor of psychology um, in Dublin at, uh, at Trinity. So all three of them have taken different paths. All three of them have done fine. Um, but uh, it was definitely a burden because if you're the child of of a famous and and 
sort of celebrated person, not just a celebrity, but actually someone who's celebrated for their accomplishment, not just their fame, then if you succeed, then people say, well, of course you succeeded. Your dad's an astronaut. And if you fail, people say, well, why did you fail? Your dad's an astronaut. And you can never actually just sort of be yourself. And all three of them have had to deal with that. And I'm, my wife and I have done what we could to, to help them with the reality of, of being a, a, uh, a, a well-known astronaut's child. Yeah, I would only imagine it's difficult, Chris. I bring a lot of real heavy hitters on this podcast here and a lot of guys that started from humble beginnings and then became through their own work and effort famous or wealthy or whatever have been. Now their kids are coming from a different scenario where they're, they're not, uh, you know, struggling or something like that. So it always creates that kind of a little bit of a conflict there, a little dichotomy between the father and son or father daughter. So um, I can imagine being in, in your shoes there. Now, you mentioned your one son helping out. I know you're very popular on social media. Uh, I think you recall the most popular or social media savvy astronaut there is. What what was the that was that was that from your son generating that? What got you interested in social media early d doing all this? Well, I watched how NASA executed the Apollo program and and I and you know the Soviets kept everything they did secret and only revealed something when it had already finished in us in a sort of a sanitized version of it. And NASA just said this is way too important to not tell everybody and they just broadcast everything and it was hugely influential in so many lives all around the world millions of kids saw opportunity differently because of the of the example and the role models that NASA presented at the time and so I think I just internalized that but my philosophy on social media is no matter what age you are if you're trying to do better at it ask someone half your age you know, if you're 40, ask a 20 year old, 30, ask a 15 year old, 10, 20, ask a 10 year old. And uh, so I asked my kids before my third space flight, we had got together at Christmas time and they said, man, you need a social media manager. You need a publicist. You, you, NASA's doing a terrible job. And um, fortunately, my, our middle son, Evan, had just finished his MBA and was looking for work and was available for the six months of that flight. And he really dug into it and did a, a marvelous job of letting people know what I was up to. And 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 you know a huge amount of innovative work and uh, and sort of seeing it through a different light. And NASA does well, Canadian Space Agency does well, but sometimes you just got to ask somebody younger and really motivated. And uh, and and you know I've done lots of stuff myself, of course, but Evan was uh, was huge. And now he has his own whole uh, documentary series on YouTube called Rare Earth, and he's currently filming down in the Azores right now. Has a huge following of his own. So. He was super helpful to us, but also learned a lot and is very successful in his own right. Uh, incredible stuff. Yeah, and what, that's one of the blessings of social media with all the junk and garbage that is on there. It's one of the coolest things is to have an opportunity to see these, what you guys do. Uh, it, it's so special. And today, you know, with everything going on with, with, with space now, it's so exciting. My middle son is so just encapsulated. Uh, how old is your middle son? He is 13. 13. Uh, yeah, I'm, really sorry, I'm sorry. Four, I'm sorry. He's, he's 14. I have a 15, 14, 10 and seven. So I don't want him wow. to knock me there. I got to give him his rifle due. But yeah, he's 14. He loves it. He And when I told him I was interviewing you, he was like, he couldn't. I got your book. So I, I already gave it to him to start reading. Oh, thanks. Uh, he, he, he just um, he loves all the things space. And I think a lot of kids do. So uh, it's awesome that you're you're very present on there and very you know transparent with what's going on. Uh, and, and that being said, what the game has changed here, you know, going to Mars, we have the Space Force. There's so many different opportunities that are available now. What advice do you have for the parent out there that has the kid that's interested in getting involved, astronaut, space, something of that nature? Well, I think number one is if you're going to ever take a job that is far from uh, good medical care, 
which obviously space flight is going to be for a long time, you need a healthy body. And it can provide uh, motivation for that 13-year-old to say, hey, if NASA is ever going to pick you, then you need to have a strong and healthy body. So, you know, think about what you're eating, think about what you put in your body, and think about how much exercise you're going to get. You don't have to be a fanatic, but think about the long term of the health of your body. So to me, that's a good thing to draw from it. The second is, as you say, spaceships are complicated and going to Mars and settling on the moon and all the other things. Uh, it's an extremely technical world. You're going to need uh, to understand it, to contribute to it. So plan on being a student. Uh, multiple times in your life. Learn complicated things. Challenge yourself. Don't just go to college to do what you already know how to do. You know, go to college to teach yourself uh, a skill that that only really patient instructors and a different habit pattern can teach you. So plan on being a, a complex technical student. And then the third thing I think that I would really counsel parents or, or kids themselves, and, and uh, maybe your 13-year-old, I don't know if he's read my my sort of my astronaut's guide to life on Earth. That's what it really is. Might be a good age, just some useful ideas. But the third thing is learn how to make decisions and stick with them. And you can start doing that at, at 10. I did, you know, and it can start really small, like this month. You know, it's just October, right up until Halloween. I, every single day, I'm going to whatever. I'm going to do 100 push-ups every day. Or I'm going to learn five words of Japanese every day. I can learn five words of Japanese or whatever. But resolve to do something different, to make a decision about yourself, and then stick with it for a measurable amount of time. Because then you can see how you have molded who you are. By the end of October, you are a different person. You could do the opposite. So I'm going to eat 20 Big Macs every day from now to the end of October. By Halloween, you wouldn't fit in your costume. You'd be a whole different guy. So, so to me, those three things, use the idea of the motivation of being a space explorer to change your personal habits on fitness, on education, and on the ability to make and stick with decisions. And you'll be setting yourself up for no matter where you go in life. Yeah, wow, incredible stuff, Chris. I really appreciate you uh, speaking on that. And one, one thing, like I said I said to you earlier, I bring a lot of military dads on, a lot, a lot of Navy SEALs, a lot of guys that have deployed combat. And I can only imagine what that is like to have to leave your family to go on a combat deployment, let alone to leave your family to go into outer space. I, I, I can only imagine what that mental preparation must be like. Take me through that, if you could. What is that like for you, knowing that you're, you know, obviously going to be involved in a dangerous mission, you're leaving the planet um, and, and saying goodbye to your family. Walk me through those kind of emotions when you get ready to go on a space mission. Yeah, and I flew in space with a Navy SEAL. I don't know if you've spoken to him, Chris Cassidy, amazing guy. So wonderfully capable and still thoughtful and multi-skilled. Um, but getting ready for a space flight, uh, obviously it affects you as the astronaut enormously. And what it really boils down to is giving yourself the position to be able to ignore more and more things so that you can truly just focus on doing this extremely complicated thing and doing it to the best of your ability. You can no longer be focusing on taxes and remembering your grandma's birthday and, and cutting the grass and everything. There's, there's just, you know, if you don't execute this space flight properly, people are going to die and the whole space program, you know, is, is, is always beholden to its next launch. So what that means, it's a big ask of your family and friends. If you're going to absolve yourself of your normal paternal duties or, or you know, husbandly duties, 
then that means the load is going to have to get on your wife and your kids or your, you know, if you're a woman, your husband and your kids and your family. And so that's a big ask. So talking about it and and setting it up and recognize this is dangerous. So don't just cross your fingers, but have a plan. Come, Don't just go, eh, I hope this goes OK, but instead say, I may well die next Thursday. So let's have a plan. And I actually had my wife come in to one of the sims that we run, the big management sims where I died on orbit, because it's it's a measurable probability. How is everybody going to react? How will the, you know, the technical people and the medical people and the public relations people and how many minutes will it be before, you know, the Houston Chronicle is sitting on my my lawn um, or how soon will it break on social media and how should my wife get ready for it and what sort of life insurance and I'm a Canadian. So, you know, how much longer will she live in the States? Where will she move back to in Canada? Let's just go through all that. It's probably not going to happen. But by going through it and thinking about it and having a plan, it's actually calming. It's like, OK, this probably won't happen. But if it does, it'll, you know, I'll be sad, I'll grieve. I'll, but we've got a plan that's going to work. So I don't need to just irrationally fear it. Get enough insurance, have a plan and recognize that this is an important enough thing in one member of this family's lives that everyone is now willing to uh, to be part of dealing with the risk and the potential aftermath. And to me, that was a really critical part. Uh, otherwise, it's always going to be like this little unspoken uh, eroding cancer that's going to be behind everything. And I think it's much healthier to confront it and have, have a practical plan for the possible eventualities of what may happen through each family member's life choices. Yeah. And I think it's important too, Chris, for, for all parents. I mean, maybe to not that extent, but like something life insurance, getting, getting that taken care of does bring a certain, certain sense of uh, security to you. I do agree with you there on that and something that I think all, all dads should definitely do. So uh, very well said there. And I wanted to jump into now the Apollo murders here. What, what, what decided you to jump into the uh, fictional thriller here, uh, writing fictional thrillers? And what could you tell the listeners about it? What's been the feedback so far from the book? Uh, the Apollo murders is uh, alternative history thriller fiction set in the spring of 73. And I mean, uh, James Cameron said uh, a mission that never really happened or did it. I couldn't put it down. And Andy Weir loved it. And and. Uh, Gosh, Frederick Forsyth, who wrote The Day of the Jackal, he he loved this book and Publishers Weekly and ever, there's an article in the New York Times about it. So other people who should know better are loving this book. But the book is almost entirely true. You know, it's got over half the characters are real people. Uh, the secret Soviet space station that had a machine gun mounted on the outside, that really existed. And and the the secret rover that was driving around on the moon, Luna Hod, that was really there. And and, you know, Kissinger's in the book and Nixon and Haldeman and, and uh, a bunch of people and uh, Gene Krantz. And, and so it was tremendous fun. I love research and I love discovering new stuff. And so weaving my plot of, of uh, Apollo 18 as it went through all these things, including uh, cosmonauts and, and, uh, and, and some pretty amazing twists of plot, um, I'm really happy with it. And I've learned a huge amount writing this book, but um, already working on, on the next book in the series, just because the take it's already in 12 languages and, and uh, you know, being published all around the world. And, and it's just a brand new book. So so I'm, I'm really delighted at this stage of life to discover that, that I can write thriller fiction in a way that 
you know, people really get the story. And it really allowed me, you know, if you're you're talking about Navy SEALs, what's it really like day to day? How do you talk to your buddies when things are going great or when you're off duty or when when you're truly, you know, in the combat situation? What are the quick, stupid thoughts that are flashing through your head? How does it feel and sound? In my previous books, you just don't get into that true human nitty gritty of it. But by writing thriller fiction, suddenly everybody can have a superhuman type of reaction to all of the crazy stuff that's going on. And so it gave me great freedom to let people know what it's really like to be an astronaut. So I, I think people are going to like it. I mean, I just did a thing on NPR. And so anyway, uh, I'm really happy with how this book came out. And, and I've also discovered that, you know, as another dad activity, uh, I really love writing at, at this stage of two, uh, life, too. So uh, so that's been another fun piece of the puzzle. Yeah, so cool. And who better to write this book than you? And it says right here, many of these people are real. Much of this actually happened right in the beginning here, right off the jump. So yeah. a link is a link is going to be in the description of this podcast episode for my listeners. Get over there, check it out and buy a copy. Let me bring it right back into you as a dad here for a second here. What type of disciplinarian were you, Chris, as a dad with the kids growing up? And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Um, yeah, my dad was raised by his grandfather, you know, one of those things where the, the mom wasn't at a, a proper stage of life. And so they were uh, he was raised by his uh, maternal grandfather and uh, and his brother was raised by the paternal grandfather. So that guy that my raised my dad was born in like 1880 in the Victorian era. So my dad was raised born in 34, was raised with Victorian values, you know, like Queen Victorian values. So that was quite an interesting childhood for me. Very male dominated. You know, women were in a different role than men. You know, if you think back to Victorian rules and um, and just, you know, how the culture is reflected through the way that we behave ourselves. And I was raised in a, uh, on a farm with two brothers and two sisters. My wife was raised by a single mom uh, with no brothers or sisters in an apartment. So the two of us had a wildly different view on what normal was at home and what discipline should be like and what, you know, how do you conduct your life on a daily basis? And since we had three kids, we were sort of, you know, mathematically somewhere in the middle of one versus five. And so my wife and I talked about it a lot and her immediate natural learned way to deal with things was obviously different than the example that I'd been raised with. And so we constantly discussed it and, you know, batted uh, heads about it and tried to come up with the right, right middle ground. And our philosophy basically was we need to be consistent. Our kids need to have a good sense of right and wrong. They need to have bounds. When they cross those bounds, there has to be a fitting you know, punishment for it, um, but not not any sort of abusive level, just a recognition that decisions and actions have consequences. And and you're going to learn that at home so that then when you go out into the real world, um, hopefully you'll, you'll have already internalized those things. But I think, you know, apart from me turning into this famous astronaut guy partway through their childhood, I think otherwise uh, they got a pretty good value system from us and a pretty good understanding of of normal but a really important part of being a parent, you know, you know it as well as I do and everybody listening, is everybody is imperfect. Each of us knows it within ourselves. But recognize the fact that your spouse isn't perfect and your kids aren't perfect. So allow them to be human beings. Allow them to be who they are. You know, recognize that just because you think something is really important right now 
is not necessarily the black and white eternal definition of something. And it, they may see the world more clearly on this subject than you do. So you got to be the rule maker. You have to be the dad. You have to not just be their friend. But at the same time, um, don't just be unilateral and authoritarian about everything. Try and draw the middle ground where you can. And, you know, we blew it all the time. But at the same time, you know, all our kids are in mid late 30s now and and conducting their own lives and have pursued different professions. And we have a granddaughter. So uh, I, I think we've done OK. Yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, my wife and I made those mistakes early on as well, where we, we finally came to the point where if we're, we have different parenting philosophies and discipline, but don't correct one another in front of the kids. We wait exactly. now and we let it go. And then later on say, hey, I wouldn't have done that. I would have done this. So that that's one thing that we did uh, have gotten a little bit better at as we're still learning the game ourselves here. So uh, very cool. Good stuff. Uh, l- last thing I want to hit you with here, Chris, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Number one is you aren't the one who's pregnant. Have some respect. Uh, this is a huge ask of of your spouse. I mean, the changes to her body, the the it's like she's suddenly taking a whole new suite of drugs for nine months, you know, because of all the body's preparation for motherhood. And so the behaviors and the, you know, just it's it it's an enormous physical change and then the physical burden and, and and then the the incredible torturous process by which you know birth happens you know we're evolved to have as big and a big headed and and a mature baby as possible right at the limit of the human anatomy the female anatomy so have some respect for all that be as supportive as you can recognize that it's not you going through this you're in a supporting role to pregnancy and, and childbirth be there if you possibly can uh, and then it's not going to suddenly, uh, you know, be back to normal when the child is born. It's a whole new normal. Your house has now been invaded by an alien. And the two of you have to uh, figure this whole new game out. Um, be consultative. Be consistent in front of the kids. Um, but uh, and as you say, the two of you work hard at, at improving your skills as a parent. I remember seeing a stand-up comic once who said, you need a license to drive. You need a license to fish. But anybody can have children, you know, and and so, you know, take it with at least some level of responsibility um, and recognize that uh, you can get better at being a dad every single day. And even when you're my age at this stage of life and your kids are, you know, fully functioning adults in the world, you're still their dad. You still have a role to play. It's evolved over time. But I'm lucky enough that my dad's still alive at 86 and, and we still have a father-son relationship. And I think um, you're in this for the long term. Work really hard to try and be the best dad that you can. And if you blow it today, apologize. Uh, try and learn from the stupid stuff that you did and see if maybe you can get it slightly better tomorrow. Yeah, well, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Chris Hadfield, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thank you very much. I wish you and your wife and your four kids all the very best. And thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the Apollo murders. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to write. And, uh, and I hope a lot of people learn a little more about what just might have been in the space program by having a chance to read it also. Yeah, r- good stuff. Link is in the bio of today's podcast episode. <laughs> Thank you.
back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Commander Hadfield for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Make sure you check out Chris's new book, The Apollo Murders. The link is in today's show notes. And be sure you bring it right back here for Monday's episode next week. I will be joined by United States astronaut Victor Glover. Coming up on Wednesday is the host of The Amazing Race, Phil Kogan. So a lot of action coming your way. Stay tuned straight ahead here on First Class Fatherhood. That's all I got for you guys. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.